Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Hey, parents. You're listening to the Project Parenthood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll introduce you to the same respectful parenting practices that I use to help parents repair and deepen connections with their children. You'll get tips for cultivating more parental self-compassion, more cooperation from your kids, and more joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Fionke Afalabi-Brown a pediatric respiratory sleep medicine physician who helps parents and children prioritize sleep for optimal physical, emotional, and mental well-being. You're going to hear about how to manage your own mental restlessness at bedtime, how to gauge how much sleep your kiddo needs, and how to build good sleep habits right from the start. Stick around till the end to learn how the labels you use to describe your child's sleep habits might be getting in the way of their sleep. Dr. Funke Afalabi-Brown is board certified in pediatric pulmonary medicine and pediatric sleep disorders. As a double board certified pediatric respiratory sleep medicine physician, Dr. Brown helps her patients breathe better and sleep better. By extension, she helps improve the sleep of their parents. Based in Pennsylvania, Dr. Brown is a speaker, an educator, a writer, and founder of Restful Sleep MD, where she helps busy professional women and their children prioritize sleep to not only achieve their optimal health, but also thrive and live to their fullest potential. She does this through courses and programs focused on educating and empowering busy professional women to make sleep a priority as a critical pillar of their health. Dr. Brown does this work to help families learn how to create the best version of themselves without sacrificing their health and losing sleep. Here's my chat with Dr. Afalabi Brown. Hi, everyone. I'm here now with pediatric pulmonologist and sleep medicine physician, Restful Sleep MD, Dr. Funke Afalabi Brown. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, so glad to have you here at Project Parenthood to shed some light on how we can step up our kids' sleep hygiene. I love it. I'm all about that. <laughs> yes. So, you know, before we jump into talking about like the how-tos of restful sleep for our children, can you tell us a bit about what sleep pulmonology is and what you do as a sleep medicine physician? Absolutely. So pediatric pulmonology is really a very relatively small field, I would say, 
and relatively new in the sense that it's been around maybe a few decades compared to a lot of the other subspecialties, right? So what this entails is someone goes into training as a pediatrician. So you first get your training as a pediatrician, and then you go ahead and get an additional training to be a pulmonologist. And so the real focus is on children that have breathing issues. So that could be anywhere from things that like asthma, things like different lung conditions, having recurring or multiple pneumonias and lung infections and things like that. And then also some rare conditions like cystic fibrosis and things like that. So really that's under the umbrella of pediatric pulmonology. And then I went ahead and did an additional training in sleep medicine, really to then own in my skills on helping people sleep better. Because one of the things we know is if you have breathing issues, then your sleep is going to be affected, right? If you have stress in your life, your sleep is going to be affected. And if you're battling an illness, we are we have been in the middle of a you know pandemic for like the last two years right now. And so a lot of children sleep and their parents' sleep is affected. So a lot of the work that I do is focused on helping children sleep better, as well as their parents. One thing we know is when children are sleeping better, then automatically, hopefully, their parents will do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for that explanation. And speaking of that, speaking of parents, one more thing I want to touch on before we start talking about the kiddos is what are a couple of tips for us as adults to calm like our racing minds so that we can get some sleep? You know, sometimes you just lie down and your mind starts going and you know, what are some ways for us to get into that restful mode? Yeah, no, that is such a common entity. And that's the reason why I said even sometimes when Many times we may blame our sleep on our kids, like my kid doesn't sleep and comes into my room and wants to co-sleep with me and all that. And so I don't sleep. But then we now get to the point where, oh, yeah, my kid is now sleeping well on their own, yet I'm still not sleeping. And for many parents, it's that recent mind, that endless to-do list, you know, the list of things you should have done, you could have done, you would have done, that keeps running this endless loop in your mind. And so a lot of times what I recommend doing is first stepping back to seeing why that is going on. Is this like a one-off thing or is this like something that's happening over maybe a period of a few days because you're undergoing a lot of stress? Or is this something that's been going on over a very long time, in which case we do need to address it because it might be related to insomnia, which is when you have difficulties falling asleep or staying asleep or you're waking up super early. That being said, I would say one practical way that I would recommend or a couple of practical things that I would recommend doing to address that racing mind is journaling as a form of uh, mindfulness, right? So you could either journal or meditation before bed, making sure you have that incorporated into your nighttime routine. And the reason why that is helpful, if you think about it, especially as busy, you know, for example, professionals or moms where we've been going all day, we usually, you know, get our kids tucked into bed. They have this wonderful routine where they talk about their day. We read to them. We have this lovely song and things and they are like off to sleep. And then we just hop into bed. We don't have any time to transition. And so when you have some level of either journaling or mindfulness or, or, you know, some level of some space to kind of reflect over your day. It helps declutter your mind a little bit. It allows you sort of process and let go of things that are really out of your control. I would recommend doing that before getting into bed. 
And I've seen that really dramatically change just the level of mind racing that parents experience. Another thing you could do in that when you're doing that journaling activity is kind of write a list of maybe things you're supposed to do tomorrow, right? So it's not something that's now running in your mind like, oh, I need to check on this person or send an email or pay this bill. Write them all down. And so that way you've kind of, you know, let it go and you'll address it tomorrow and then you could go to sleep. If you find that despite doing that, your mind is still racing, then usually what I'll recommend, especially if you're in bed and you're tossing and turning for so long, is to just get out of bed, get out of bed and do something else, especially when you're now in that zone where you start to feel very frustrated about your sleep and you're worried about how you know bad the next day is going to be. There's just really no point anymore. Just get out of bed, maybe do something calming and relaxing out of bed and then get back into bed once you start to feel more sleepy. Hmm. You know, you make a really good point here about all of the rituals we create for our children yeah. that are so restful, but we don't do that same thing for ourselves. Yeah. Right. You know, there are all of these, you know, this lead up that takes a whole half an hour, maybe, you know, that you're doing all these things yeah. to help your child get into sleep mode, but we forget to do that for ourselves. That makes a you make a really good point there. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a bit to the practicalities of good sleep for kids, just sort of as a rubric, how much sleep does each age group really need? Like do preschoolers and elementary age kids and middle schoolers and high schoolers, do they all need the same amount of sleep, different amounts of sleep? I know that teenagers need a lot of sleep. Like what is, what's the story there? Yeah, absolutely. So the National Sleep Foundation has recommendations of the adequate or appropriate number of hours of sleep for people by age. So for instance, our newborns are sleeping anywhere from about 14 to 17 hours. So they need a lot of sleep because they're going through a period of very rapid growth and development. So they do need that sleep, right? And then as kids get older, say our our preschoolers, for instance, three to five-year-olds will need anywhere from about 11 to 13. And then our school-age children, usually what we say they need from about nine to 11 hours of sleep. And then our teens need about eight to 10 hours of sleep. And then in adults, we usually will talk about seven to nine hours. So over time, as we get older, the The amount sort of decreases a little bit, but overall, I think more importantly, beyond the absolute number of hours of sleep, because there's such a wide range, is to really see how you feel or how your child feels. So if they are having a hard time waking up, for instance, in the morning where they're groggy and they're exhausted, that might be a sign, regardless of what's going on, that maybe they need a little bit more, right? So maybe they're on the longer end of that range versus they're ready to go and they're doing okay during the day. They're not sleepy or super duper cranky or having any behavioral issues. So I think it's really important to look at the child, see how they are, and then you can make some adjustments to say, you know what, I noticed every day, every day that you have a either a hard time falling asleep at night or that you're not getting adequate sleep, I see that, you know, he, you're just having such a difficult time with regulation. So let's try to get you a little bit more sleep. That's a good idea. It's interesting. I'm thinking about, as you say that, I'm thinking about my own child in the morning and how I usually am so groggy getting her out of bed, <laughs> but she just pops right up like, what are we doing? Like she's just completely <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. I'm just like, Whoa. okay, give me five seconds. I know. 
Let me breathe. I know. And yes. it's true. You know what? You bring a very good you bring up a very good point because most of our kids will not, you know, when we are sleep deprived, usually we're tired, we're exhausted, we feel sleepy. Most times our kids are on the opposite end of the spectrum where they are very hyperactive. They may have frequent tantrums, they may be irritable, but usually they're not necessarily sleepy. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's something pa- parents should pay attention to. So you don't want to wait until your child is like sleepy because that means like they're really, really sleepy. You may see that. You've missed your window Exactly, or exactly. <laughs> so you may see their energy level like ridiculously high. Um, that may be a sign that they're actually tired. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. I know how to run a hair salon. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. The days are officially getting longer. And while there may be a bit more daylight, do you still feel like there isn't enough time to do things like plan and shop for healthy meals? Hungry Root is your partner in healthy living. It's the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. Take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know your health goals, your tastes, the appliances you use, and more. Then, they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week, along with delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole, trusted ingredients. Save hours planning, shopping, and cooking. Hungry Root delivers food you'll love. As a busy parent striving for healthier eating, Hungry Root has been a game changer for our family. Our box was filled with fresh, high-quality ingredients and simple recipes tailored to our tastes and preferences. One feature we particularly loved was the ability to customize our meals by swapping ingredients, making mealtime exciting and adaptable to our needs. Ordering was a breeze, and the convenience of having everything delivered to our door saved us valuable time. Hungry Root truly made our weekly meals easier and better, allowing us to enjoy nutritious and delicious dishes without the stress of planning and shopping. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Project Parenthood listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com Parenthood to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com Parenthood. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. What can parents do in those early years, those infant years, during those 14 to 17 hour sleeps? You know, what can parents do to build healthy sleep habits in those early times, those early months? Like, are there things they shouldn't be doing or should be doing during that time to create some good habits? Yes, I, they're absolutely, it's never too early to start incorporating healthy habits for the family. 
You know, mm-hmm. you I usually would not recommend, say, for instance, a baby or a newborn in the first four or five months of life. I don't recommend any type of sleep training or trying to put them on some kind of schedule or anything. They kind of make up their own schedule in that sense. But because that earlier stage, their brains are not yet developed enough to the point where they even know the difference between night and day. And that's why, and then they're feeding so frequently because they're growing. And so when they sleep in short bursts within those first few um, months, that's pretty normal and expected. But as they're getting older, even within that time, you could already start to put in some routines. Say, for instance, even though for, you know, for your very, very small baby, they're sleeping for majority of the day, but there's a time when night starts, right? So you could have a really short routine where you change their, you clean them up, you change them into PJs, you sing to them, you know, you could start to incorporate those routines in and our brains are just incredible. Our brains start to anticipate sleep when you start to do that on a regular, consistent basis. And what I recommend is don't make it complicated, make it something sustainable, make it something pleasurable. So for some kids, they like to have a bath and then maybe we read a book and then some, you know, some bonding time before we put them into bed. And so that's really something that I recommend. Almost like, you know, and and when people ask about like, okay, so what should be part of the routine? And I think there are really three main areas. It should be around hygiene, around bonding and connection, and maybe some reading of some sort. So communication, I would say. So um, if we talk about the, the, the hygiene, that would be taking a bath, changing, you know, into their PJs, brushing their teeth or something of that sort. When it comes to the bonding time, it could be sometimes just cuddling and, you know, rocking them a little bit or singing to them or or just talking and connecting with them on that level. And then in terms of communication, it could be reading to them or having them read to you, whatever that looks like. So those three elements, if you can make sure that your routine includes that, it's really, really, really helpful for your child. Yeah, it's interesting. As you say that, I'm remembering that that some of the things that we did when my child was an infant, we still continue to do those things now that she's seven years old. And even just when you start them, she'll just yawn right away. Just, just, just really just already. I know that I'm in a good spot. I'm like waiting for the yawn. I'm like, okay, we're in the spot. We're in the zone. And that's exactly what happens because her brain has been conditioned to do that. Like it knows, oh, wow, when we start this, then sleep is next. And when you do that and you do it in such a way that's very predictable, especially for young children, they anticipate it and you get less of a pushback because they just know Mm -hmm. this is what we do at home. It's not something random or like a lock of the drawer, right? They know from here to here to here. And so I think that's really helpful. It's true. As, as you say that, I'm realizing, you know, at seven, there isn't as much pushback. But I do remember those three, the four, the fives. There was, you know, sometimes at bedtime, just so much resistance, you know, so much stalling, so much, you know, how, one more book, one more song, one more, you know, just a lot of, and I don't see that as much anymore. Do you have any advice for parents who are in that more toddlery stage when there is a little bit more pushback at bedtime? Yeah, no, that is so real. The struggle is real. It's very common. And, you know, in some cases, it might be a little bit of a pushback and, you know, eventually 
they they you know they oblige or whatever but in some cases it actually delays their sleep time significantly and they're tired and they're not going to bed for hours and it becomes what we call insomnia behavioral insomnia in children because then it impacts their the amount of sleep they can get and things like that so one of the main things we try to do that especially that what that scenario you just described is, is is related to limit setting. And sometimes it's present during the day and it's also present at night. Sometimes it's only present at night. So I think one thing is important to address like what the issues are. Is your child scared? Is there some insecurities going on or something of that sort? Is there like a medical condition that's, you know, pushing back? Are they uncomfortable or in pain or things like that? So you want to rule out anything serious. After that, I would say in most children, it's neither of the first two. It's just resistance, right? They don't want to miss out on all the fun, right? <laughs> so a lot of times the strategies that I recommend are around, you know, really curbing the, you know, limit setting. And so that looks different for different people. Sometimes it could be things like, you know, we use things like uh, we call it a bedtime pass. That's a very common, a very popular, very, very, very effective strategy, especially for that toddler age, where what happens is you create a pass or two. So literally cut up a couple of strips of paper and they keep it right by their, their, their nightstand. And so for every request, they have to trade in that pass. So we now don't have 10 or 20 requests. We have two or maybe most three, right? You want to set them mm. up for success. And the conversation you have before that is, listen, you get two requests. And once you're done with the requests, that's it. No more requests. It's done. Like, there are no more requests because they trade that they trade that pass in for the request. And then on the, on the other end, you tell them, but you know what? If you keep those requests, guess who gets to trade the requests in for a treat in the morning? So then it kind of teaches them, oops, if I trade in my request now, one, they'll be very careful about what they're requesting, right? They're not going to want to waste it, right? They'll be better stewards of their multiple requests. And then two, they now have sort of the motivation to hold on to those passes so that they could trade it in for something during in the morning, either, you know, pick something simple, favorite cereal, you get to make breakfast, you know, you get to pick a breakfast of your choice, you get to, you know, Maybe you get a small toy from the dollar store, nothing huge at all. And if you can maintain that consistency, usually we're able to curb it, curb the, um, the bedtime resistance and get them sleeping on time. Yes. You know, what worked for me at times was to slow down a little bit and sort of turn up the connection a little bit. Sometimes I found that my child just wanted a little extra time with me. So if I could just sort of give a little bit more, you know, a little more playtime or make it a little more fun or something more connected, then sometimes that would fill her cup a little bit and she'd be able to settle. Oh, yeah. So but that was a challenging time. Those years were challenging. It's, it's really nice that that is behind me. <laughs> really I nice. Love that. I love what you just said, because again, it's like looking to see why what's going on. Uh, which is why is there like anxiety? Is there stress? Is, are they, are they, do they feel emotionally like? A little bit depleted? Do they need their love tank filled a bit? Is it that we've been so busy all day that, you know, 
even as you know, there's sometimes, let's be honest, there's sometimes when you're there, but not really there, you're just like, let's get this routine over with so that I can get back, right? And they can tell. And sometimes that's their own way of saying, I need you to be present. So I love what you just said. And I highly recommend that because at the end of the day, it may just be an extra two minutes and all of a sudden you get their buy-in. So definitely, definitely an option to use. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing <clears throat> that comes up in my practice is oftentimes is early morning waking. Some preschoolers who, you know, they wake up at 4.30 a.m. and it's it's time to go. Like, what? when's breakfast? Like, I'm awake now, yeah. you know? And it's still, you know, for the parents, kind of still nighttime. I'm not really ready yet. <laughs> is it? Do you have any good ideas for you know, with this early morning waking. And it's not like middle of the night where you're going to go back to sleep necessarily. It's like, mm. technically, it's it's close to morning, but it's not really morning. Yeah, I think that is something that also happens really, especially even with the, you know, with the time change, right? When we um, sp- spring forward and things like that, where it seems like it's getting light out uh, earlier, right? So in those situations, I think the first thing again is checking in, like, are we missing something? Are they, you know, if, if it's a child that's not fully tr- potty trained, do they need to use the bathrooms? Things like that, you know. Is there anything else going on? And then in that situation, most times you really want to try to maintain that consistency in when they wake up. And so you don't want to feed into it and say, okay, you know what? You could go downstairs and watch some TV as long as you don't, you know, you don't wake anybody else up. And that's something that we tend to do because it's like, listen, everybody else is still sleeping. The problem with that is you have to be careful because sometimes it then the brains now get conditioned to saying, oh, well, guess what happens? Every time I wake up early, I get treated with time in front of the TV, right? And I that may not necessarily be what we want. So what I usually would recommend for that particular situation, sometimes it's where you, call, first of all, make sure your the room is as dark as possible. So because any amount of light that's coming in, so it may be light from outside that's streaking in through either the blinds or something like that, that's enough for them to wake up. And our brains are very sensitive to light. And so if that's something that's going on, you want to just check. You want to make sure their room is really, really dark. You might need to get some blackout shades or blackout curtains or something of that sort. And if that's not the case, then I usually will recommend getting what you call an okay to wake clock. And that's something that works very often where it, it changes color at a certain time. Tip now, if, for instance, you would like their wake up time to be 6.30 or 7 a.m., for instance, and they're waking up at 5 a.m., I wouldn't recommend setting the clock for 7 a.m. I would recommend setting it up for setting it for maybe 5.30. So it's going to change color from, say, red to green at 5.30. And so they're not allowed to come out of their room until that said time, right? And then over time, when they're consistently waking up or staying in their room at that desired time, you could then start to push it back a little bit. And that tends to work very well. If they're in the room and you notice they're still waking up early, I would say focus on the light. Sometimes even the slightest, like I have kids who, you know, sometimes the humidifier has like this tiny bright light, (laughs) I don't know why that, why, why does the humidifier have so much light, right? You know, you could need to just use like a tape to just cover that up or something. So be very, very aware of that one. One other issue that we deal with too is the waking in the middle of the night, like multiple make waking up. Sometimes even in like those early elementary school years, like the five, sixes, and just like waking up 
in the middle of the night a lot of times. And I'm wondering what you recommend for sort of settling kids back down and getting them back to sleep. And do you stay with them? Some parents are, you know, do I just stay in bed with them? Do I, they sometimes come in my room? You know, what what is a good way of sort of getting everyone back to sleep again? Yeah, that's also something that happens commonly. So one of the things I usually will say is, whatever you need to fall asleep is what you need to stay asleep, right? So we all have the sleep associations and we do, right? Like I have my pillow, it's cool on one side over the course of the night. If it gets warm or uncomfortable, I might wake up and then I switch it over to the cooler side. Or if the pillow falls to the ground for some reason and I wake up, I'm going to need to pick that pillow up to continue sleeping. The reason why is because the last time I fell asleep, my brain associated my sleep with sleeping on a very cool pillow. So it turns out we all wake up in the middle of the night. Everybody wakes up. We wake up about five times or even more. And it's normal, right? We go through stages of sleep. We go through what we call sleep cycles. You go through light sleep, then you go to deep sleep, and then you go to the dream sleep or REM sleep. And then you cycle through and have a very brief awakening in between those um, cycles, right? Those those awakenings are called arousals. We're not even aware of it. We don't we don't know, right? And our kids technically don't know unless the last time they fell asleep, there was something present for them to resume sleep. So if, for instance, like I mentioned the pillow, if, for instance, a parent was there, like you as a parent, you lay with them to fall asleep, for instance, and they fell asleep and then you left the room, when they're cycling through their sleep, they're going to have that brief awakening. But then their brains, right, their brains will look out for, okay, am I safe, right? Is my parent here because my parent was here when I fell asleep last time? Is my pillow, my blanket, all those things that I fell asleep, is it still present? And if it's not present, then they wake up more fully and then they need that um, element, that parent or blanket, whatever it is, they need it to resume sleep. And so that's the principle. So funny enough, even though people come and are like, well, my child wakes up a lot. How do I settle them? We go all the way back to the beginning of the night and I say, What's your routine like and how is your child falling asleep? I would say seven times out of 10, parents are either with their child when they're falling asleep. And so the child is scared when they wake up because they need your parent. If it's a baby, sometimes they may be given a bottle and they fall asleep with the bottle and then they wake up, they need that bottle. When we're able to then notice that association, what I recommend doing is breaking that association gradually as much as you can tolerate as fast or as slow as you can. So if you're a parent that needs to be there, then we kind of have to work you gradually out of the room. Only focus on the on the nighttime for that period. Because in the middle of the night, if you're trying to do all that, everybody's going to be frustrated and nobody's going to get asleep. So in the middle of the night, if you have an awakening, I would say just do whatever it is you need to get us to sleep. And we just focus on bedtime. Once we're able to address that independent sleep at bedtime, then as your child wakes up, typically they'll be like, oh yeah, I fell asleep. The last time I fell asleep, I was here by myself with my blanket. No parent was here. I'll be able to resume sleep again. So really that's the that's the strategy. I wouldn't pay too much attention to the middle of the night if your child needs you or needs a bottle or needs some kind of crutch to fall asleep. Mm, so focus on what you're doing in the moment of putting them to bed, those rituals at bedtime and see what you can tweak there. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so as we're coming closer to the end of our time together, I'm wondering, you know, in all of your travels in sleep hygiene, 
you know, what's one of the things that, you know, is maybe a myth that you want to clear up about things that parents might think about sleep or sleep hygiene? I think for parents, two things I would say. One is for the parent and then one is for the child. You know, one thing I hear a lot of people say is my child is a bad sleeper. It's very common and it sounds very benign. But the thing is, usually we say within earshot of our child too. And I would say your child is not a bad sleeper. Your child may need you to fall asleep and may have maybe some sleep struggles, but every child can be taught to sleep well. They can have the skills to sleep independently. And, you know, if not, if you need help, you know, there's help out there. But bad sleep is not who they are. They may not sleep well, but it doesn't really define them. And so I think that that helps a lot because when people come in and say, well, my child is a bad sleeper. You know, my firstborn slept well. The secondborn is a bad sleeper. I had, I was a bad sleeper. Like it almost seems like, well, there's really nothing we can do. This is how they're genetically <laughs> built, <laughs> you know? And I think that's something that I really, really advocate for parents to sort of think through. It sounds very benign. And then the child too is like, well, I'm a bad sleeper, so I'm going to need you, you know, so at the end of the day, it doesn't help or serve us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Using those labels, yeah. sort of, we sometimes live into those labels. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece is for the parents is the myth of I need seven to nine hours of sleep. And so it becomes this like, you know, something we fret over and we feel like we falling short because we didn't get seven to nine hours because we brought our phones into our beds or because our mind was racing. And then it becomes a a guilt trip, right? That's not the goal. Like I mentioned, seven to nine hours is the recommendation, but there are people that sleep a little bit less than that. There's some people that sleep a little bit more than that. And so really finding who you are in terms of how do you feel when you wake up? How do you feel during the day? Do you need caffeine? Are you taking naps like nonstop all day? Then you kind of work your way back and say, okay, I think I need a little bit extra. But that seven to nine, it sometimes it locks us in and ends up creating a lot more anxiety. Yeah, that's a really good thing to remind us of, you know, especially parents can give themselves such a hard time about so many things mm-hmm. that it really does make good sense to be self-compassionate, right? And and be easy on yourself and try to sort of tweak things little by little rather than just deciding that you're a failure at something. The parenting journey is hard enough already, right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you for giving us your expertise and sharing your knowledge with us. And I'm sure I'll have many, many more questions. I may have you back. Um, I know I'm talking a big game with my good, my good sleeper, you know, quote unquote. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, who knows what it'll be like. I might be calling you. Yeah. Um, but thanks so much for being here and, and sharing your time with us. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I've had just a great time chatting with you. I hope that's helpful. You can learn more about Dr. Afalabi Brown's work at www.restfulsleepmd.com and follow her on Instagram at restfulsleepmd. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com and follow me on Instagram at bkparents. If you have more questions about family sleep hygiene or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646-926-3243 and be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com.
And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Cameron Lacey. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a... Like a good neighbor? Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor? State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.